probably the number one key thing for success with innovation. That is to show the impact and show it fast. I usually say, and I said I think also here in the beginning, if you don't show results within the first 12 months, you are dead. But you actually don't even have 12 months. Hello and a very warm welcome to this, our second series of transformation stories from the award-winning Valtec Cafe. Last year, we spoke to more than 25 global brands and industry experts about their experiences of digital transformation. And this series is no different. From airlines to retailers, manufacturers to healthcare companies, this is a podcast series that strips away the digital buzzwords and challenges what we all thought we knew about our industry. Covering topics from the circular economy to customer experience, emerging tech to composable architectures, we're removing the filters and getting to the bottom of what's really going on in digital today. I'm Tizzy Philp, and welcome to the podcast. We all know what it means to be innovative or to innovate, but how do you turn innovation into lasting results? How can you prove the impact in the short term and long term? And how do you make sure that you're putting your proverbial eggs in the right basket? In this conversation, I'm joined by Lena List, Chief Entrepreneur at GN Group. GN facilitates communication between people through intelligent hearing, audio, video, and gaming technology, and is driven by a passion for innovation. So let's find out how they do it. Nina, a huge welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. So let's get started, as we always do, with an introduction into you and your role at GN, and maybe some context into what it means to innovate in an organization. Absolutely. Well, I help companies to own the future rather than being disrupted by it. And that's what I've done for the past 20 years in different industries, media, healthcare, design, engineering, and today at GN. And even though it's very different industries, the common denominator is that they have all been operating for 50 years or even more, and they want to embark on new business models. And when I say I help companies to own the future, it may sound very long-term horizon. But in reality, if you don't show results within the first year in a role like mine, well, you're history. And talking about results, uh, I have a commercial background. And that's probably also why my focus is always on the business impact of innovation I would say rather than the innovation process as such, of course, the innovation process is a big part of it, but I always have the eye on the on the impact. That was maybe a long-winded introduction to what is it then that is my role and what is it that I do? <laughs> and the first question I always get when I start in, in a company is that people come and greet me and then they say, well, we have innovated for 150 years, so what are you going to do here? And that is, of course, true that uh, all companies innovate every single day. But typically, it is what I would call incremental innovation, meaning they make new features or new products in more or less a direct line uh, from what they already do. If I should be a, a bit bold, maybe, it would be that they optimize or improve more than they innovate. 
a lot of people would probably hate me for saying that. So in GN, you know, we make new hearing aids, new headsets with new features, new design. And that part of the business, I never interfere with. My focus is purely on new business opportunities. So that is leaning more towards what I would call radical innovation, using new technologies, offering better services, new business models, new customer segments, and to make it maybe more concrete. As an example, at GN, we use artificial intelligence to predict if a person is about to return a product. Another concrete example is using the voice to detect if a person is about to develop a cognitive disease such as dementia. So very different from what is the core, core business of the company. That was a long introduction. (laughs) No, that was perfect. That was perfect. And you mentioned radical innovation there, and I'm going to go into that in a bit more detail because you said in an earlier conversation when we were preparing for this, this discussion that CEOs often say that they want radical innovation and moonshots, but in reality, they want to transform the mothership. So what did you mean by that? And what do you see happening across large businesses today when it comes to instilling innovative ways of working and behaviors? What do you think are the main drivers? Yeah, so when I say that CEOs say they want radical innovation, actually they probably don't use that terminology, but oftentimes what I experience is that what I would perhaps classify as less radical is very radical in their eyes. <laughs> and oftentimes they they see the need to transform the mothership because they are very short-term sighted, right? They want uh, results here and now. And if you're truly doing super radical innovation, typically that would be a, a longer time horizon. But talking about drivers, typically there are three drivers to innovate across uh, large companies. One is opportunities to utilize new technologies, artificial intelligence, machine learning are some of the the ones that I've seen the most, and to use those technologies to to make new types of product services offerings, whatever it is the company do. Another driver is looking into new business models. And I would say the number one business model that I see across different industries that is the, the hot topic is as a service. So rather than selling one-off services or products, you sell your your products as a service. And then the third driver is new players entering the market. These new players, they may not have a better product, but they would certainly have either a different value proposition or, again, a different business model. So those are the typical drivers that make these uh, big corporations uh, see the need to, to do things differently. I think a lot of companies, when they think of innovation, as you mentioned earlier, you know, it's about continuous improvement, small tweaks. They think they're being super innovative because they're making an improvement on an existing product rather than really truly innovating. But when it comes to innovation, how can companies make sure that they are really innovating without reinventing the wheel? How do you make sure that it's not just innovation for innovation's sake, if you will? Yeah, and I really hope nobody is just doing innovation for the sake of it. But a big 
driver and very important is not just to sit with a blank piece of paper and say, okay, what can we come up with, right? I mean, ideally you approach innovation with a strategic direction. And one way that we do that is to develop what we call a disruption radar, which is really looking at the opportunity spaces. And what I mean by that is that you, you look at the market You look at the different, both new technologies coming in, but new players as well coming in. And essentially, you can map thousands of startups in in this radar. Imagine a a pizza uh, shape, and you divide the pizza into different slices, and each slice has a different opportunity space. And you then map the startups based on the level of funding they receive, and the, the place they get within the, the slice is the year they have received the funding, because that way you can also start to see when are these startups coming into the market, where they are in the market, but when can we expect to see massive changes based on these different startups. And when you have then plotted in thousands of startups on this uh, circle, with the different opportunity spaces in each slice, then you will start to see clusters of startups. And these clusters then indicate when you see an area where you have many startups that have received a lot of funding in a particular innovation space, then that's a signal, a signal of where the market is heading. And that's a signal for you as a company to see, okay, where where can we play and also where will we not play? And by having also the year as part of this radar, you will also uh, realize, and this is where it gets scary for some <laughs> senior leaders, you may also realize that there are areas where it's too late to become the leader. You've missed the boat. <laughs> exactly. But you can get extremely good conversations based off of a radar of that kind. And essentially, it's all about spotting the signals in the market and then based off of that, make some strategic directions of where is it then that you want to innovate and where is it that you want to play. And then you start your innovation process of coming up with ideas because now you know in which direction you are going without knowing what exactly you're doing, but this is where the innovation, the maybe more traditional innovation funnel or process kicks in, where you then start ideation and, and testing, etc. So this is a very structured approach to innovation then. You have a, an innovation group within GN. Is that something that you see in lots of different companies or do you tend to see that they have more of an ad hoc approach to innovation? You know, an idea comes out of somewhere and people throw some money behind it and see what they can make from it. For you, it sounds much more structured, much more predictive, much more analytical in those early parts before you you move ahead. And that's correct. And I think all companies, right, you will have, I mean, employees all over come up with ideas almost on a daily basis, right? The problem is that if that idea is not in a direct line of of what you already do, if it is a bit more uh, radical or it requires either new competences or a new way of doing business, then it will be extremely difficult 
for that person sitting there in, in a department to take that idea and truly turn it into a new business. Simply because you will hit the, the glass ceiling of how do you then collaborate across with the other departments and, I mean, everything I do, you know. It requires that you have finance, you have IT, you have legal, you have a lot of these departments involved in order to make it happen because you're doing something that is very different from from what the core business does. And that is where a lot of companies will will fall short if they rely on people can just do it, you could say, as part of their normal job. Quite interestingly, Harvard Business Review has made a study where they asked, I think it was around 270 CEOs, what they saw as the biggest barriers to innovate. And top three things that the CEO said, which I think is uh, very true, at least from what I see around the different organizations I've been in, is uh, number one, internal rivalry between the departments, the culture, secondly, and then thirdly, the lack of ability to act on signals where the biggest opportunities lie. And number three is more related to the radar I just described. So you may see the signals, but what do you then really do? And this is also another challenge in a position like mine is that all companies, people are measured on short-term sales here and now. How much do we sell this month and next month? And it's tricky then to put aside the, the time and the effort to work on things that may not have a direct impact in the next near-term months. And that's why it can be difficult if you don't have a, a dedicated team uh, like we do at GN to make it happen. I think we'll go on in a, in a bit to talk about the organizational changes and aspects of having this internal innovation function and what that means and how people can replicate that. But you've just talked about being able to prove the success of innovation. And I think that's a a really interesting point to go into in a bit more detail. How are you able to track success when it comes to innovation? How do you know that you've made the right move? Is it a financial metric, a revenue? What are you looking at? What are the things that you're considering? And how early can you tell whether you've, you've made that right move? This is an excellent question, and I would say probably the number one key thing for success with innovation, that is to show the impact and show it fast. I usually say, and I said I think also here in the beginning, if you don't show results within the first 12 months, you are dead. But you actually don't even have 12 months. You need to show impact a lot sooner. And you also need to show the impact simply to know, as you asked, how do you know if the idea you're working on is actually the right one? And that is why when you do the innovation process, you flip the traditional process upside down. So what normally happens in, a, in any company when they come up with a new idea is that they have this great idea and then they start to develop the idea. And that development process can take actually quite a long time, even years. And then when they have developed this new, let's say, product, they go to market and and assume and hope that this product will be a, a new number one hit, right? When you work with innovation, you need to flip that process. 
So you actually you still start with the idea, but then you go to market before you develop anything. And this is critical because the second you start the development process as such, that is where time becomes your worst enemy. So you go to market without having developed anything simply to test, is there a market potential for this? And it sounds crazy, right? Because how can you go to market if you haven't anything to go to market with? But this is where you fake it. So you, let's say you can put up a website and you put up the product that you're going to sell. And then you simply say, you know, here is a a new amazing product. And then you see, will anybody click on buy? And if nobody clicks on buy, you're probably not onto a good idea. Of course, it could also be you have not been able to communicate it in the in a good way on that website, so you can test it a, a couple of times. But it's a perfect way to test upfront: is there a market potential for this idea? And it doesn't have to be something you can sell online. You can also equally test in a similar way if you are targeting business-to-business customers and it may not be buy, it can also be book a demo or book an introduction meeting or whatever, simply. But it's important that it's not just, do you think this is a good idea, yes or no? <laughs> then, then you would just get a lot of false of false guesses, right? So that yeah. really needs to be a commitment behind whatever action it is you want your, your target audience to do. And that is the first indication, right? And that is what you then put forward to your senior management team saying, so we tested this and we can see X percent wanted to buy or whatever it is we we want them to do. And that is your first indication that there is a business. How do you do that without an element of risk though, Lena? Because what about all those people who do click on buy and then uh, this is a product that doesn't currently exist? What happens then? How do you do that without damaging your brand? Yeah, so the, the very good question again. And there are two things to, to answer that. I think the first thing is also to make sure you don't piss off people <laughs> to, <laughs> to say like, so everybody clicking on buy and then realizing there's nothing there. Right? But that you can come about pretty easy by simply saying, hey, we are simply not ready, but we will give you 50% discount or whatever. When we are ready, sign up here. And by the way, that way you even start collecting potential customers if they also sign up up front to when whenever you are ready to launch so that was the the customer part of it the other part of it as you said how do you make sure you don't damage your brand this is where i always experience a lot of pushback in the corporation because they see it as a big risk that we promise something what if we cannot make it, right? We haven't developed it yet. What if we cannot develop it? Or what if, you know, we could damage the brand as you said? And the way you come about that is by whatever you put out, if it's a website or however you, you make your fake test, simply don't put up the company brand. Do it totally undercover. Pick another unknown brand. Use other Colors than the company colors in big corporations. Colors are very important, <laughs> and uh, just make sure that there's no resemblance, no mention of the mothership, and there's no risk really. 
Let's then go on to talk about this organizational element of change. How do you become an innovative company? Because we both know, and I'm sure that everyone listening to this will be very familiar with the need for any organizational change, whether it's a transformation or introducing innovation into a company, requires a mindset shift. (laughs) And that's the most complicated thing of all, probably. I think you can probably agree as well. I can hear you giggling, which suggests you also agree. How do you start then? How do you get people to embrace these new ideas and change and not feel threatened by it? And, you know, particularly for large incumbent companies who are well known, have strong brand heritage, people recognize the brand. There's that fear that we've just touched on of damaging the brand or being something that you're not. You know, how do you manage people through that process and get them on board? Yes. And this is where... I'm tempted to say my real job (laughs) comes into play because a lot of people think in a role like mine, I sit there and innovate and come up with great ideas all day long, but I don't. Actually, my job is all about that question you just said. Stakeholder management, creating this cultural shift, getting people on board and, and making it happen, right? And first of all, You cannot innovate in isolation in the corner of the company or even, well, you can, but then you can be sure that nothing will happen the second it it hit the core business. So you really need to get the core business with you, but you can also not convince everybody. Uh, So if you start on a big journey to try to get everybody on board, you can spend months and months, right? And it will not happen. So. The trick is to get the enthusiastic people on your side and also invite the entire organization to be part of the ideation, to come up with ideas, because there are a lot of gold mines hidden around in the organization always. So embrace and invite everybody to be part of the journey. But then at times you also need to... I can just say it, be a rebel, I guess, (laughs) and do things where you cannot get necessarily the buy-in from every single key stakeholder because that would simply slow you down. Then you will end up in endless, endless meetings with PowerPoint presentations, and that is what you definitely need to avoid in in a position like mine. Um, So it's a it's a balance. It's a balancing game of getting as many people as possibly uh, on board while steering along the way. And if there were companies listening to this who are starting to approach innovation, understanding that to keep up with the market, they need to be more innovative, they need to embed some sort of innovation group within their organization, where do they start? How can businesses replicate what you're talking about here? And what does an innovation team look like? Yeah, and this is where, and of course, I'm I'm probably a bit biased here, but I <laughs> say they need to get a person on board with a somewhat similar capabilities like mine, because you cannot just say to people, now you start to innovate on top. Uh, well, a lot of companies have tried that, right? You can spend 10% of your time doing other things than what you normally do. But that will just never really make a big impact. So you need to have some new capabilities on board, ideally to have a team you put in place 
to do it still with the organization as uh, we do at the end. But you need to have that separate team to, to orchestrate it and do it. And also to take people along the journey. Because it's not just about coming up with an idea. It's also about working with that idea in different ways. So part of it is also learning by doing and instilling new ways of working. Like I mentioned before, turning the development process upside down, not to think in final, big, beautiful, polished solutions, but think in minimum viable products. But what I also tend to prefer even better, minimum lovable products. So what is the, the minimum but still lovable from a customer point of view product that we can go to market with. All these types of ways of working needs to be ingrained into the culture and you need a team to to orchestrate that, to make that happen because it will not happen by itself. That that's, I can just say that, full stop. It will not happen by itself. So there needs to be somebody to, to drive that. When you look back at the work that you've done at GN and indeed elsewhere, what do you think has really stood out to you as as representing the true value of innovation? Is there maybe a product or a service that you've developed through this process that has made a big difference, perhaps? Yeah, and it's it's funny because that's a question I always get. Uh, and of course, there are a lot of products or solutions that I'm extremely proud of. And I think a lot of what we do at GN, I mentioned some in the beginning about getting into, for instance, the health space when you're working in a in an audio company. I think that is really radical innovation and something that I think is amazing. But when people ask me what I'm, am I most proud of, it's much more related to the people side of it. So when I see people thrive and when I see that some of these processes I've talked about, the ways of working, when I start to see that they get embedded as part of core business, that's actually, that, that makes me even more proud because that's where I think you see the, the biggest impact, at least on a longer term basis. Lena, thank you so much for joining us today to talk about all of this. This has been great. And uh, our first podcast that focuses purely on the topic of innovation. So thank you again. It's been really interesting to talk to you. And for anyone who's listening to this, who's interested, then hopefully that's some really helpful advice for them as well to get started with their own innovative journey. Nina, thank you again for joining us. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. You've been listening to the latest transformation series from Valtech Cafe. Hit subscribe to get access to our whole back catalogue of conversations. And if you'd like to know more about what we do, why not visit us at valtech.com for all the details. Until next time, thanks for listening.